0: Hello, and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast, a show serving the greater bleeding disorders community brought to you by Believe Limited and Bloodstream Media and made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. I'm your patient advocate and host, Patrick James Lynch.
1: And I am your healthcare advocate, nonprofit nerd, and other host, Amy Board, reminding you to please speak with a healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions.
0: On today's show, the second to last of 2023, Mm. the WHO gets it wrong. The essential medicines list of minimal medications for a basic healthcare system that all countries should provide. And they screwed something up. We'll talk about it. Plus, another I'm fine. (laughs) Another I'm fine segment featuring a vulnerable blood brother, Justin Levesque, discussing what it's like experiencing an identity crisis with hemophilia. Plus, a new Maya Bloomberg segment honoring World AIDS Day. All that. And I have a new ankle, kind of, sort of, and more on today's Maybe? episode. <laughs> Welcome to Bloodstream.
1: <laughs> hey listeners, thank you all for joining us today. I am here in the studio. Patrick is at home. True. With a new ankle, which sort is incredible. Of. But anyway, if you like what you hear on this uh episode, which I hope you do, please share it on social media and all the things so we can get more people and listeners and all the things.
0: I also want to remind you listeners, of course, that the Bloodstream podcast is indeed made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Yeah, that's right, Takeda. Takeda's got this website bleedingdisorders.com, where you can learn all about Takeda's resources for and commitment to the bleeding disorders community. I will share that while I was in the hospital recovering from my surgery last Friday, which we'll talk about... I spent a little time on bleedingdisorders.com, clicking around, seeing Get what the out. latest is. I did. Every once in a while, I got to check out what it is we're talking about. And I was like, you know what? I like that we talk about this website. It's got a lot of stuff it's a here. good time. So go check it out yeah. because Takeda believes in a world free of bleeds. And they're dedicated more than ever in their efforts to offer a wide range of support and programs to help patients throughout their treatment journey, wherever on that journey they may be. And probably not on cryoprecipitate. You can learn more. By simply visiting bleedingdisorders.com <laughs> one more time. I'm cutting ahead. That's bleedingdisorders.com. <laughs> and for their founding and ongoing support of the bloodstream podcast, I would just like to say thanks to Kada.
1: Thank you to And
0: thank you to segment sponsor Sanofi for supporting the I'm fine segment. All right, Amy Board, we've got a bunch to talk about, but only one place to start. Tell us what yep. news has come out regarding the WHO and their essential medicines list.
1: Well, um, it came to light over the weekend that the World Health Organization or the WHO or WHO, Who? Um, came out with their essential medicines list, which is basically um, a list of minimal medications um, that a healthcare system has to provide to all countries. Um, it is a complimentary list um, for products that do not make the essential list. And as we found out uh, this weekend... Um, the hemophilia medication that they um, would like to have included on that essential medicines list is cryoprecipitate. Uh, factor eight concentrate is only available on the complementary list. Um, so I'm sure many of our listeners are already, you know, incensed, but I'll turn it over to you, Patrick, um, to kind of give some color on this.
0: So cryoprecipitate has not been a standard of care for hemophilia treatment in the 21st century. It wasn't a standard (laughs) of care for treatment in the 1990s. You can argue whether or not it should have been in the 1980s uh, because of contaminated blood factor, but I will remind you that cryoprecipitate is a blood product. So if your concern is about blood safety, having cryoprecipitate as the quote, essential medicine for hemophilia around the globe is in and of itself a health and safety risk. Labeling cryoprecipitate as the standard, the the essential medicine, I've never heard anyone, this makes me so upset, I've never heard anyone describe cryoprecipitate as essential. It wasn't described as essential when it was the standard of care for hemophilia because it just wasn't that effective. So to see it come up on a list like this at the end of 2023 in an era of novel therapies and gene therapies when we're talking about health equity and bridging global gaps is such a slap in the face to science, to advocacy and access, to patient leaders around the world. It is absolutely despicable, and I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling to understand how they arrived at that decision because Factor is not expensive to produce and manufacture. It ultimately is no. not, not anymore. So it can't no. be a money and thing. And it
1: is so well-proven. Yes. It is so well-proven to be safe and to be effective and to be cost-effective.
0: Recombinant factor rate replacement therapy or cryoprecipitate. I can't think of a single place in the world. I can't think of one hematologist anywhere. Find me one. Challenge, Bloodstream listeners. Find me one hematologist who can make the argument for why cryoprecipitate should be the essential medication for hemophilia around the world as opposed to factor eight. I'd love to have them on bloodstream and I will shut up and give them the floor. I need one, one. Who did the WHO talk to? Who makes these decisions? Who did they consult with? Because we know all these people, they're on this podcast, they're on the global hemophilia report, they work on the science fair. All I see is them posting on LinkedIn and Twitter how upset they are with this. So who does the WHO consult with for these kinds of critical decisions? You're the World Health Organization. Take the power of your post seriously, do some homework, and bring in the right experts. I, again, Amy, I, I struggle to even understand how they arrive at this decision. That They just learn all about factor and extended half-life factor and hem libras and novel theory. And, and they said, you know what? Back in the 1960s, there is this thing called cryoprecipitate. It's really difficult to create, store, and administer. But we think in twenty twenty four and beyond, this is the ascent I mean, give me a break i i want to I want to come from a place of of understanding. I want to pl- come from a place of teamwork and collaboration and multi stakeholder. Blah blah blah. But man, it's been like two three days, and this just continues to piss me off,
1: Patrick. Um. I I agree. And uh, I think it is um, a chance for us to mobilize as um, a community, which we have done many times here in the States. But I honestly think this is a time to mobilize. At the moment, listeners, we don't have a great path forward in terms of like this is what we should do. But I do think social media is a great place to start. Please, if you have a Twitter, or now it's called X, but I I am going to continue to call it Twitter. If you have a Twitter account, please tweet your thoughts to at who, W-H-O. We will put this in the program notes. We will also put um, some of our bullet points that Patrick um, uh, so eloquently said so you can uh, copy and paste um, just some of the basic um, you know, foundations of the issue and what we would like to see. Um, as always, a reminder factor eight concentrate is safe, it is effective, and it is usually cheaper than chrysoprase. Cryoprecipitate, and it is the treatment of choice for hemophilia. It is wrong that the W uh, that the World Health Organization is recommending an inferior and more dangerous product. So we're going to put that all in the program notes. When we have more organization um, in terms of what we can do to kind of mobilize our voices in this way, we will let you know.
0: And for the advocacy leaders out there, for the folks at NBDF, the folks at HFA, the folks at the World Federation for Hemophilia, my buddy Chris at Save One Life, for all of the advocacy leaders in the U.S. and globally, you guys need to step up here. All of us, all the constituents, all the consumers, all the grassroots advocates, to Amy's point, we got to add – to the noise, we gotta create as much amplification of the message as possible. Sitting at home in a basement and anywhere in the world, you can send out a tweet and actually, the totality of that effort means something. You can make an impact from anywhere. But you leaders who have decided you want these posts, you wanna be in these positions, it's moments like this. We should not be depending upon a podcast or just some luck to change outcomes. Get in front of this. I know it's new, but get a message out there. Quickly, you uh, an aligned message between organizations so that the entire global community can see this is not okay. This is the opposite of health equity and progress, and we're going to work together to make sure we change this forever. If you're not doing that, reconsider the position you have, and I mean it.
1: Thank you, P.J.L. We're going to uh, make sure to get back on this subject here either next week, um, next episode of Bloodstream, or further in January. Thank you, P.J.L. Appreciate I'm going to take your passion with this.
0: A deep breath. And we can move on to the next segment.
1: The next segment is about you, sucker, and your freaking ankle. Oh,
0: my goodness. Okay. (laughs) Which
1: is a nice transition to be, like, all heated and passionate and stuff. And then to go into your ankle. You have a big, big, biggity, big, 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 big update for listeners. As we know, y'all, Bloodstream listeners, it has been the year of Patrick's ankle. (laughs) um, (laughs) Trying new stuff, all of the new things, which has been really lovely. I mean, I think you've, like... You've had really good conversations with fellow blood brothers and things mm-hmm. and hematologists, treaters, mm-hmm. um, about new stuff. Tell us where you are in your journey.
0: Well, my first joke was going to be, and to think that I was able to make it through this surgery, simply using cryoprecipitate to control my bleeding. Okay. <laughs> no, you know how often my doctor and I have talked about cryoprecipitate in the last uh, 30 years, zero times,
1: um, zero times,
0: zero times. I had a left ankle fusion on Friday. We are recording this uh, five days later. And mm-hmm. this was a long time coming. It was sort of the last, bit. I hope the last big decision that follows a moment I had two years ago where I just looked at my wife and was like, I can't go on like this. Uh, and the number of times I've said like, I have to stop fantasizing about amputations, um, which sounds hyperbolic, but only barely. So Friday, um, after a lot of additional conversation, fusion versus replacement, is this the right time? Is this the right surgeon? Is this the right da da da, da Should I do it later? Da, da? It finally, I accepted, no, it Friday, December 1st is, is going to be that day. And I was projecting a three-hour uh, operation. Fortunately for me, I had osteophytes, bone spurs, removed from my left ankle during a debris month, which is a clean out of the ankle, same surgeon, same healthcare system, same building a year ago. So I had a lot of comfort coming into this year that like, okay, from a, like a mechanistic standpoint, like I know the building, I know the parking situation. I know what the room is like. I know the surgeon. I, so that was all very comforting. Surgery went quicker than they anticipated, which was great. My bleeding was minimal to like everybody's surprise. So kudos to Dr. Doris Kwan and the orthopedic uh, HTC out here in LA for a very strong plan uh, to use factor replacement to help control my bleeding uh, before, after, and I've had basically none. Um, I'm also quite happy to say that I haven't taken a pain pill uh, outside of Tylenol in three days. Like I didn't need one soon after surgery, and it's been a refrain of mine that...
1: Wow. You
0: know it says something when your post-op pain is nothing compared to your day-to-day chronic pain. Oh, my
1: gosh, Patrick.
0: Like, I said to Natalie, too, I feel like something's been lifted from me. I feel like something's changed that I can't quite quantify... She told me just a little while ago that to some folks last night, she described this as a spiritual experience. She said to me just a little while ago, she's like, your eyes look different. I was like, I know, I just, it's all different. It's all, and it speaks to the friggin' I'm fine entrenched resiliency, man. Like I was never, I am never, ever going to let problems with my ankle, problems with my hemophilia force me into a dead stop. Close the door. I'll try a window. Window's locked. I'm breaking in through a piece of, I don't know, I'm getting into this freaking place. But man, when that amount of challenge is taken away and I'm introduced to a possibility that I wasn't aware of, I'm trying to not get too ahead of myself, you know, things, there could be a complication, maybe there's a reason pain will surge, I don't know, but like with my bones fused together with screws drilled in there to help them stay together. Like 36 hours after the surgery, I was like, I don't even think I need to be on pain meds anymore. Like I'm not really in pain. And then yeah, five milligrams in the next dose. I was like, let's just not and haven't since. And I'm doing fine. So, it's it's all new. I haven't even spoken to my surgeon since the surgery. He talked to my wife, and I talked to the, the resident and the hospitalist and other people. But I have a follow up in a few days. I haven't even seen the surgeon, so it's all still like happening in real time. I've got five and a half weeks of non weight bearing life to look forward to here. Which I, for my uh, for my blood brothers and caregivers out there, this actually reminds me a lot of life with a bleed because it's like when you have a bleed once it's in a somewhat controlled state, you know, you've got compression, you've got it elevated, you're doing all that. And it, it doesn't feel great, but as long as you're keeping weight off of it, it's okay. But you just have to stay in that non-weight bearing. I'm on the couch with my leg up position. And now that's all I've been doing for the last four days. And I'm like, oh, I remember this. I get to the bathroom on crutches or I use a little P jar. I just keep my leg on this pillow all day. I remember this, but I'm not in pain. Like mm. it's a, it's a, it's a nuisance, but like, I'm on, like, right now I'm at, like, a two on the pain scale as opposed to, like, living in a seven. Oh, my God. So, um, I'm not beating myself up. Again, it's early. I'm not doing the, like, you should have done this sooner, even though I know that thought's going to cross my head a lot and people will say that and that's okay. I know why I did this when I did it. We all arrive at our healthcare decisions when we do. I'm just glad that in the end I didn't uh, further push it off because I I think I was looking for a reason, to out of fear and... Yeah. Out of, I mean, fear. I guess is what I can boil it down to. F- fear it was going to prevent mm-hmm. me from more things. I would, you know, more time down. And what if it doesn't work? And then I'm up. Uh, so I'm very glad I did mm-hmm. it. I've also been in communication with a couple of people who uh, have. I've been talking to about their thinking about ankle surgeries. Luke Pembroke, who's been on this show before. He and I have been swapping messages the last few days. Um, Luke's an interesting story, right? Because he receives gene therapy for hemophilia B. He's producing factor levels at a at a solid at a solid clip, uh, he's feeling good. He's able to travel and do things he couldn't previously do, but that residual long-term permanent damage, that arthritis, Mm. that pain, gene therapy doesn't Mm. take that away. So that still needs to be addressed. And Mm. so, you know, he's facing kind of what I'm facing, uh, or what I was facing, which is like, this pain is still, I need to specifically address this pain. And I think that it sounds like the answer for him is going to be the same as it was for me. So if anybody else is out there too, that is thinking about they got an ankle thing. I mean, yeah, as Amy said, this has like been a large part of my year. It's been a large part of my last couple of years, and frankly, it's the avatar for my hemophilia life. My left ankle. So, if anybody is out there and is like, "Man, can we check, we connect, reach out," happy to, happy to share what I've learned, some of the homework I did. I looked, I took PRP injections, I consulted multiple orthopedics, I was on cortisone shots, I tried the osteophyte removal and the debridement. Like, I tried to do as much homework as possible and landed on frankly, the most common thing that people in my condition, condition do, but I had to get there knowing it was the right choice for me. So if I can help anybody else kind of get mm-hmm. to that spot for themselves, I'm happy to, Amy Board. And uh, yeah, we'll be doing this remote for a minute, but all is well. All is well.
1: All is well. Well, that, that it's extremely moving to hear where you're at and um, just kind of incredible. Um so I'm I, I can't wait to hear more. So thank you for sharing your your journey with us, Abby.
0: My my pleasure, and I appreciate uh, the feedback and the response that I did get along the way from people mm-hmm. who were like, "Hey, you're talking about this on the podcast. I did this. Look at this. Mm-hmm. I researched this." So I benefited a lot from community, uh, and as a direct result of having this podcast. And so again, if I can you know pay that forward and then share back things that I've learned that might help you with the decision that you're facing or that your loved one is facing. Uh, I'm happy to, because this stuff is is it's complicated and it's personal and it's important, mm-hmm. but man, like that may have been the most important decision I've made in a very long time, so
1: wow, yeah, <laughs> um it is incredible, and looking forward to hearing more um it kind of lends right into our next segment, I mean, not to be like a podcast idiot about it, but it really does no for sure. Um, I'm fine is next. And we have Justin Levesque, blood brother, Justin Levesque with us. And, um, if there's anything, I mean, there's a lot to listen to today. Actually, we're going to, it's like soundbite central, but Justin (laughs) really speaks profoundly to, I think the held on, trauma in your body when, you know, something like chronic pain is kind of lifted, um, especially Mm. like with hemophilia, like now all of a sudden we have these like invisible treatments, you know, what's a bleed, what isn't, like what is still being held in our body and kind of that, you know, we kind of packaged it into a word of like identity crisis Um, when it, when you have a chronic illness like that and then all of a sudden you have a medication maybe that like takes some component away, what Mm. is still Remaining so. Um, anyway, let's let's get to it. This is, this is a good let's episode good, of Bloodstream, man. We did a
0: good one today,
1: huh? <laughs> Who knew? Anyway, let's uh, let's get on to. Uh, I'm fine with Justin Levesque.
0: I'm fine. Aims to challenge entrenched ideas around chronic resiliency and satisfaction with suboptimal outcomes by inspiring people with hemophilia to seek education and truly consider the possibilities. Sanofi seeks to expand the idea of what's possible for the hemophilia community. Take a deeper look at the science behind hemophilia and an important connection between factor activity levels and potential activities at levelsmatter.com. And now, on to I'm Fine.
2: This is all I've ever known. Is that even possible for me? I don't want to miss anything. I don't need that. I don't want to acknowledge my pain. I don't
1: want to get poked with needles. I don't
0: don't want that. that.
2: There's nothing wrong. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine.
0: I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. fine.
2: My name's Justin. I'm a visual artist in Maine. And I have hemophilia A with an inhibitor.
1: Welcome back to I'm Fine, a space where we unravel the complexities of living with hemophilia. Today's segment, we dive into a deeply personal story of change, challenge, and self-discovery. For Justin, it's been a journey of artistic expression, personal growth, and confronting an evolving identity.
2: You know, when I developed the inhibitor when I was 25, like hemophilia and like just became everything, you know, and you know i was living and breathing and eating it and i i think what i then wanted to do was think about like all right well how does this like how does this like that identity which is like taking over me completely like become mixed into like my creative practice and so i did like a bunch of projects where i was making work uh artworks about hemophilia and and then also trying to like create a platform or lift up other creative voices in the community by like having some art exhibitions at like the annual meetings and stuff so and I think that was a way in which I was trying to like super like embrace the identity and like mix it in so I think right now I'm in the maybe now I'm in the stage of like rejecting it a little bit but I think it's more it's more in that like um, once again it, it's a it's a focus back into the interior that I think I'm going through and sort of like figuring out like, you know, what's going on in here. You know, I don't think I've had like a very serious bleed in probably two or three years at this point. And like, what does that mean to me? Like as a bleeder, you know, I'm like to not to not be bleeding. Right. I'm no longer refusing in my veins. And so like the trauma has kind of shifted from one location to another, but it's like a sort of different site and maybe it, it's sort of detached enough for I don't have some of the same issues around it, right? But when I was in Antarctica back in February, I had the beginnings of a of an elbow bleed that like really scared me. I started spiraling in terms of thinking about like what's gonna happen to me. I can't maybe get more medication. I, I think I have enough. Do I have enough? There's definitely less control maybe in some of these new like more invisible treatment. Yeah, it's totally a trauma response. Oh, maybe I'm not actually as good as I thought I was. So you know, what does this new normal look like? It's a really big game changer in terms of like how how now I'm moving through the world thinking about like, well was it my hemophilia holding me back from some stuff? Or what's holding me back now, even though I haven't I haven't had a bleed, you know, or or those kinds of things. Or or has the trauma of my past influenced me in such a way that even though now I've got this covered, like what now, right? And so there's like, and I almost feel like because I am not bleeding now, all of a sudden I can be thinking about the emotional stuff. The emotional stuff is sort of coming to the surface because I'm not putting out fires every day. And so how now do we support our youth or support our community members with this like wide open territory that like is sort of unexplored but like also they don't have the skills to navigate, right? So I think that's gonna be a really big thing coming up in the community is like, is is really reconciling these kinds of two parts of an identity. You know, does, a, does the beginnings of an elbow bleed actually turn into a full bone bleed or is it just kind of like the tingling or did I just feel it <laughs> in my head and it really wasn't there at all, right? Actually from a very early perspective, um people with bleeding disorders end up having like this awareness of the body that like most folks or their peers sort of aren't experiencing you know and so to sort of be like so like um like somatically or corporeally like uh present or aware of oneself all the time kind of just like changes the way that you're moving through the world and it kind of changes the like sort of adultness of your like childhood experience, you know? And I think, I mean, and I'll, and I've been pretty candid about this, uh, like this recent diagnosis, but like I've recently learned that I have like complex PTSD, like from having a medicalized upbringing in childhood, you know? And I think like that that's something that we don't talk about enough in terms of like how PTSD can not, can sort of erupt from like a, a series of things and not just like a particular event right and so you know i almost i almost think of like every single time like the butterfly needle like pierce the skin of my body and like injected a medication that's like is a very specific point of trauma right and so like thinking of that trauma like over and over again and like throughout your whole life like has like sort of created this this thing that's sort of just been um it's like monster or this big ball of like chaotic energy that just like hasn't been dealt with for a long time there's just like it's but again what it is it's this complicated relationship to the body right and sort of thinking thinking through and constantly just constantly being in negotiation with the body is um something that we have we have to do daily every single day and and you know what it's exhausting right sort of like invisible labor i think a lot of bleeders are doing that like most people don't sort of recognize this sort of the continuous sort of relationship, acknowledgement, and negotiation with the body as it like, relates to like thinking about longevity, the day-to-day, or just like going to see some cool glaciers.
1: Justin's insights underscore a critical point. The journey with hemophilia is not just about managing physical symptoms. It's also about the ongoing negotiation with one's body and identity. Justin's story is a powerful reminder of how hemophilia shapes lives in a way that is often invisible to the outside world. Thank you for joining us today on I'm Fine. This segment has shed light on the nuanced and evolving nature of living with hemophilia. And remember, every story adds depth to our understanding and brings us closer as a community. Subscribe to the Bloodstream podcast wherever you listen to those podcasts. And stay tuned for more insightful and heartfelt stories. Take care, and let's continue to explore what it really means to say, I'm fine.
0: Hemophilia severity is determined by factor activity levels, a measurement of how much factor you have in your blood at time of diagnosis. The more factor you have in your body over time, the better your bleed protection is, which is why many people with hemophilia choose to treat prophylactically. Your doctor can perform measurements to evaluate the factor activity levels in your blood. Learn more about the importance of factor activity levels by talking to your doctor and visiting levelsmatter.com. Sanofi aims to raise the bar for patients living with hemophilia. Reimagine what's possible by visiting rareblooddisorders.com to hear more about Sanofi's dedication. To the bleeding disorders community, Sanofi aims to raise the bar for patients living with hemophilia. Reimagine what's possible by visiting rareblooddisorders.com to hear more about Sanofi's dedication to the bleeding disorder community. All right, last up today, World AIDS Day. So December first is not only the day after my birthday; it's not only the day of my ankle fusion surgery this year. It is also annually, and let's be honest, more importantly, World AIDS Day, where we take a moment to pause and reflect on all the lives lost and impacted by HIV and AIDS. And that does include many in our hemophilia and greater bleeding disorders community. So for today's segment with the heme NP, Maya Bloomberg, we put a spotlight on hemophilia and aging in honor of World AIDS Day.
3: In a world once plagued by contaminated factor and blood products, we get to witness medical breakthroughs and defy expectations for our aging hemophilia population. In honor of World AIDS Day, let's discuss hemophilia and aging, but start with a little bit of history. In the 1970s and 80s, Thousands of individuals with hemophilia were infected with HIV and hepatitis from contaminated blood and factor products since at the time we didn't really know how viruses were transmitted. Around 90% of individuals with severe hemophilia were affected and a mass number of deaths resulted. People basically had to decide whether it was worth treating a bleed and run the risk of infection or just hope for the best. Because of this, hemophilic arthropathy or joint disease is the biggest cause of morbidity for this population. Hemophilic arthropathy affects the majority of men above the age of 65 as a result of the repeated bleeds through the years, which is why having an effective prophylaxis regimen is so important to prevent it in the first place. You can also consider physical therapy to strengthen your joints and the ligaments, the tendons, etc. of that joint structure. Physical activity in general helps reduce the risk of bleeds, and if you do develop a bleed, it typically resolves much faster. Piggybacking off of joint disease, men with hemophilia are known to develop osteoporosis or weakening of their bones at an earlier age compared to the general population. Vitamin D deficiency or low vitamin D is very common and vitamin D is necessary to absorb calcium to keep your bones strong so make sure you get your levels checked to see if supplementation is needed and stay physically active since bone loading exercises like walking help keep your bones strong. Since our patients are living longer, we're now seeing age-related risk factors for heart disease, which cancels out some of that protection we thought people might have against stroke and heart attack. Interestingly, people with hemophilia tend to have higher rates of hypertension or high blood pressure, so definitely keep an eye on that because it is a silent killer. If you do have high blood pressure, and just to protect from heart disease in general, focus on lifestyles with regard to balanced diet and exercise, you want to limit the amount of sodium in your diet and monitor your cholesterol levels. If you have HIV, it's important to have ongoing follow-up because HIV can cause chronic inflammation, which increases a person's risk for heart disease and type two diabetes. Anyone infected with hepatitis C should see a hepatologist or a liver specialist since we now have great treatments to cure hepatitis C that are generally very well tolerated. That being said, a person can still develop cirrhosis and liver cancer once treated. So be sure to have ongoing screening since the best outcomes come from early intervention. People with hemophilia have gone from a life defined by pain, isolation, and limited opportunities to living the same life expectancy to that of the general population. So focus on what you can control, such as your lifestyle, habits, and having an effective prophylaxis regimen so you can live a long and high-quality life.
0: Thank you, Maya. Thank you, Justin. And thank you to everybody on the Bloodstream team for the work on today's episode, which, of course, would not be possible without our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Visit bleedingdisorders.com to learn more. And thanks as well to Sanofi for supporting the I'm Fine segment and visit levelsmatter.com to learn more there. Amy Board, Bloodstream will be back one more time in 2023 on December 22nd. What listen? T Swift isn't the only one with pipes around here. What can listeners expect to hear?
1: More singing from you. now i mean that wasn't gonna be the the (laughs) bullet but like now also we have a banger of an i'm fine guest um i don't want to brag or anything but ms jessica bombardier is going to be our final (laughs) guest wow and she's in an interview with me which it might be an hour and 17 minutes like i I don't know very
0: long episode to finish the year. I can yeah. I mean, you know what? It's our last yeah, episode of the year. Go for it. it.
1: it's gonna it's gonna be baller. We're talking about Chris, it's just gonna be an hour long.
0: <laughs> okay. So buckle up, y'all.
1: <laughs> buckle up, Chris Bombardier.
0: And with that, that's all for this episode. Be sure again to subscribe to the Bloodstream Podcast wherever you listen to have the next episode delivered to you the moment it goes live.
1: And as always, mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com is that email address that you can use for whatever the thing. So you can talk to us, you can not talk to us, you can complain.
0: Tell us about or
1: you can ask about casting opportunities, which is great. Like you could share your story on whatever.
0: I think we should rename this section. Amy explains how email works. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you could share a question. If you made it to
1: this long down here, I really hope that it's fine. I'll explain to you how email works. You can email us literally whatever you want.
0: <laughs> All right. We'll <laughs> let you go. I'm your host, Patrick James Lynch.
1: <laughs> and I am your other host, Amy Bourne.
0: And until next time, one more time in 2023, take self-care of yourself. Bye, everybody.